Welcome to the Gate 7 International Podcast, your official English source for Olympiakos FC and Greek Super League football. My name is Peter Thompson. I'm here with Ari Bulubasis and Lambros Sirmos. I'm also here with our special guest for today, Bob Beans. Bob, how are you doing today? I'm very good, thank you. And thanks for having me on. Oh, of course. Yeah, thanks for coming. We're really excited for this one. And uh, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about. So we, uh, we await your your opinions and your insight here. Before we get into everything, we do have a couple more announcements to make. Next Sunday's podcast will feature another special guest from Hellas Football. His name is Christian Legas. You can find him on Twitter at Christian Legas with two Gs. We'll be talking about the first leg of the Champions League playoff against Omonia and match day three of the Super League. Additionally, a bit farther out, we will have another special guest. That one will be coming on Sunday, October 11th. And we will be talking with a correspondent from Olympiakos France. You can follow them on Twitter at Olympiakos FR. And that's Olympiakos with a K. Obviously, we've got a few French players on our team, including new signing Jan and Via. So that one could be really interesting. We also want to say thank you again to our sponsor, Piraeus International Incorporated. Piraeus International is not just a one-stop shop for all importing and exporting needs to Greece and other countries but they are also a source for all 220-volt appliances and electronics. For those who may not know, most countries outside of the U.S. use a different electrical system. So if you're moving overseas and want to bring the quality American appliances you're used to, reach out to Piraeus International. They work outside a network of retailers across the country that specialize in appliances that work in Greece or other European countries, so you don't have to lose your appliances. Check them out at PiraeusINTL.com, spelled like the port in Greece, or give them a call at 410-675-4696. We've also got a handful of transfer news. Obviously, we were so excited in the last episode to talk about Euro 2004, but a few things have happened in about the week's time since we last covered transfers. Young Serbian winger Nikola Chumic has completed a loan move to Sporting Gijon in the second division of Spain. There is a $7 million buyout clause for that one. Sporting finished upper mid-table in the second division, but they're not expected to get promoted next season. And as a result of that, the buyout would be quite steep for them, even if they made it to La Liga, just generally based on the money that they've spent in the past. So unofficial loans that might be happening soon. We might see Leonardo Kutris, loaned out to Fortuna Dusseldorf, and Cypriot uh, midfielder Ioannis Kosti may be loaned out to Anorthosi in Cyprus. Additionally, Ruben Semedo, who was linked with a move to Benfica, will be renewing his contract. This is probably a consequence of Benfica's loss to Pauk in the Champions League qualifiers. Martins made the statement earlier this week, and it looks like we're going to be keeping Semedo this year. Yeah, Peter, and if I could just jump in, this Semedo story was quite funny. It seemed like he was out out the door. His bags were packed ready for Benfica, and then the Pauk game happened, and they suffered that loss after spending over 80 million euros this summer. It was quite funny. And also, the statement by Martins was quite strange. A few reporters, including one that we use quite a lot, Costas Nicolakopoulos, was reporting that Semedo was pushing his way out. He wasn't trying in training and was almost giving up on the team. Martin's statement quashed that and said that Martin or that Semedo wanted to resign. It's an interesting case. 
Yeah, and I suppose uh, we might have to thank Pauk for for that. Obviously, we didn't talk about it too much, but a good performance for them and a good performance for the Greek coefficient as well. Moving on to other players who are linked with moves away from Olympiakos, Mari Kamara, our wonderful young midfielder, is being linked with a move to Fiorentina in Italy. They have offered 15 million euros. This is not really acceptable in our view or in the club's view as it seems like Olympiacos are waiting for a 20 million dollar or 20 million euro rather fee obviously I think that's about right because Madi's an amazing player if Madi does end up leaving it seems like we will have Nottingham Forest midfielder Tiago Silva come in as a replacement we're not really sure where that is obviously there's been some news very recently but it's hard to tell how accurate that stuff is and how real it is. And it does seem in Nottingham as if Tiago Silva is getting ready to leave. So we wonder what this means for Madi and his future at Olympiacos. But we hope that Madi can stay around and uh, it doesn't seem to be anything too official or too real right now in terms of him. A couple players that are linked with coming in, we have... A right back from Beitar, Jerusalem. His name is Antoine Conte. And Adi, I think you did a deep dive on him and looked at some of his stats and film. What did you find? Absolutely. Uh, this past week, we did a deep dive on a couple of players. Uh, Antoine Conte is one. Uh, he's a player some people might be familiar with. We're looking at from Beitar as primarily a depth option for Rafinha. Rafinha's getting up there in age, won't be able to play every single game this season. We're going to have to give him a breather here and there. So and Antoine Conte is an interesting option, very defensive, uh, better metrics than Omar if we're going to be comparing and kind of uh, seeing where the bar is based on what we've had in the past. He's very defensive, really good in the air. The issue I see with him is that he's not quite as offensive as Omar is, or Omar was, I should say, for us, even when he was starting to kind of go down in terms of his performance. Uh, and Omar, we used to complain a lot about his crosses. I believe it was in the first or second podcast we complained about it as well. This guy's worse with crosses than Omar. He has pace uh, and can be pretty dangerous on the counter, very physical. He will use speed and physicality to get by players. Doesn't really have a portfolio of offensive abilities. You know, he's not somebody that's going to consistently do that. He'll do it really to get out of trouble or, you know, again, on a counter to, to try and make space. But he's not really something great offensively. He's a very low-risk type of player we're going for. Uh, you know, the ceiling, I'm not really sure where it is. We've offered 250000 to Beitar Jerusalem Forum. They seem to want 700 k Again, this guy's really a depth option. I don't know what he really has to offer us beside that. I wasn't super impressed with what I saw. He's functional, but he's not really what we like to see for us or, you know, what we like to get out of a wingback. Rafinha is just a class ahead of this guy. Uh, now, besides Antoine Conte, we did a little bit of a deep dive on somebody that we've been seeing in transfer rumors constantly, Sofian Bhopal from Southampton. For those of you that may know, we seem to have reached personal terms with Sofian, but unfortunately, we haven't yet agreed a fee from Southampton yet. It seems like it's a deal that's going to get done. This is a guy that can play attacking mid. He can play on the wing. Uh, he's a very interesting player. He has flair, pretty solid ball control. The one issue I do see is he does seem to have a heavy touch. He has ability to take people on, but he gets dispossessed constantly with this heavy first touch off the ball. 
Um, so it's going to be interesting to see him. I think he has potential. He's going to, I think he could do very well in Greece, especially. Uh, it's something that he's going to have to work on his touch, especially if he's going to be successful in Europe. Like I mentioned, he loves to take defenders on. He loves to go one-on-one, -on -one, and he's pretty successful with it. It's great pace on the counter, and this is something for Europe that's going to be very interesting to us. We see how valuable the counter is, especially with guys like Lazar, who have that great speed getting down. Um, an issue with him that I, that I see when he dribbles is he has a tendency to keep his head down too much. Uh, I had noticed that every time he was dribbling or taking people on the dribble, he wasn't picking his head up to see who was around him, and he would just dribble, uh, trying to get to the end line, probably almost too much, looking to cross, and his execution getting to that is also somewhat lacking. I don't think he actually aims these crosses when he gets down to the byline. I think he just hits it. One, because I'd never see him pick his head up, and two, it just, I never, it doesn't really seem like the crosses actually get to somebody. So they're usually going to, end, you know, uh, opposing team shirts, so I'm not, I'm not really sure how effective he'll be in the beginning, assuming we sign him. He has great work rate, getting, but getting back for Southampton isn't something that's going to be too much of an issue. They're usually defending. So I'm curious to see how well he's going to cover ground and, and uh, cover back when he's on a team that's constantly in possession. He doesn't seem to like to back pass very often. This is both good and bad. It's very frustrating for us in Greece when we're seeing people constantly back pass or, you know, for the national team with guys like Bacasetas. This is a very frustrating thing. Sometimes I think he can do it too much, not back passing, that is. He tries to beat people constantly, especially if there's one person in front of them. He will go to beat that guy. Um, and then as far as his defensive metrics when he does cover back, he's pretty good. He's very similar to Masuras. He can stop people. He's very successful in duels, very physical. Overall, there's some great potential here. I think he will be a solid signing, especially for the Greek Super League. I just think there's improvement if we want to expect to have something useful from him out of Europe. Now, the probably most interesting player, uh, another player that's supposed to be coming in this week, is the left back uh, that we're bringing in from Rio Ave. His name is Mateus Rice. This is a player that we've discussed a couple of podcasts. I know in the past, Konstantin Levoyanis wasn't uh, also very, let's say, uh, interested or intrigued by him. He is a very defensive player. Most of his passes that we're going to see from him are going to be from the defensive or the midfield third. He doesn't really get forward, not quite as often as Simikas did. So don't expect if we sign him and he starts playing, that we're going to get that immediately. And that is okay because he is a much more similar player to Tsimikas before, on this, sorry, with his first year under Pedro Martins than this past year. If you guys remember, Tsimikas was a much more defensive player and didn't quite get forward as often in the first year under Martins, which is why he ended up getting benched for Kutris. Tsimikas had a huge improvement over the summer. He did a lot of work over the summer, and it created the gem of a player that we saw and ended up going to Liverpool. Rice has a similar mold about him, very similar to the first year under Martins for Tsimikas. A couple of small differences here. Doesn't cross nearly as much, much more similar, even less actually to Tsimikas' first year under Martins. Uh, this past year, Tsimikas actually doubled, had double the number of average crosses per game that Rice did. Simikas is a more accurate crosser as well. 
Again, Rice is much more comparable in this metric to Tsimikas in his first year under Martins. Now, Rice, very similar defensively, as I mentioned previously, similar number of interceptions per game. It's troubling to me that uh, he's on the defensive end of the ball more than Tsimikas is and has the same number of interceptions. But contextually, I think it's because we know how well Tsimikas did in those duels, how, how great he was. It was a testament to Tsimikas' ability as a player. Rice has the ability to improve. He's not super old. You know, mid-20s, that's nothing to shake a stick at. You expect to see someone that's a little bit more finished as a product, but that's okay. He has a tendency to lose the ball more in his own half than Simikas did. Again, Simikas was a stellar talent. This isn't a uh, metric that really worries me. And Simikas' first season under Martins, this was something that caused Martins to bench him more often than not, was because of Simikas losing the ball in our own half. That's okay. Additionally, Rice isn't really a, an amazing dribbler. Simikas, th this shouldn't surprise anybody. It shouldn't be something people worry about. We've discussed in the past, there was actually a Liverpool beat writer that wrote about how Simikas usually either went to the byline, sprinted down the byline, or did a cutback. I still think Simikas is a little bit better on the ball than Rice is, but this isn't something to be worried about. He's not a guy that's going to look immediately to dribble down the byline. He's more of a, a conservative left back option. Well, well we, uh, I, I just wanted to jump in, sound in, talking about Rice. Um, this last game versus Teres on Friday, I know we're going to jump in the game right now, but Jolebas played quite more defensive than Rafinha did. And I wonder could there be a change of system in the cards? Could we see one of the fullbacks going further more, one of them hanging further back? I, so maybe Rice being more defensive is something that could be a system change? I don't, I don't know. Well, we can discuss this, I guess, more in, in the match uh, recap. Absolutely. And again, this is not something I'm super worried about. I did worry in the beginning when I was comparing Rice to Timikas' stats from this past season. But when I compared it to the season before, when Timikas was not the polished player he is now, it was a lot more similar. So it gives me hope even though he's a little bit older, that maybe Martins can mold something else from him. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see. I'm willing to give him a shot. Yeah, certainly. And Lambro mentioned the Asteras game. We're about to get into that. But Bob, did you have anything else to add about the transfers? Yeah, no, it was, um, well, it was about um, Holobas, really. So it's about the Asteras game. So probably leading into it. Um, yeah, because I, I know so he wasn't going forward as much. Um, I remember the Holobas of old. Um, which he was an attacking threat from us. So I, I'm not sure if it was uh, intentional for Martins as a, a change of style of play and a change of system, or if it was obviously, uh, we know Holobas didn't play a great deal last season in his last season at Watford. So I don't know if, if it's just, I don't know if they're easing him in. I'm not too sure really. Yeah, that is like interesting. That. It is interesting. We obviously know Olevas from his time here in the past as a very attacking player, and we didn't really see that. Um, and we'll, we have some metrics on him as well. And, and Davro mentioned comparing him to Rafinha. More generally on the game, I think, obviously, the result is great, 3-0. For me, the, the highlight of the game or the story of the game is the substitutions. Obviously, two changes were made at halftime, and all of the goals that we scored came from players who were substituted on. And I think the sort of more attacking changes that were made really fit the game obviously against Greek sides we can get away with playing really attacking football but 
even things like team pass accuracy as a whole. In the first half, it wasn't great. Even until we scored, it wasn't that good. But after the first goal, and especially after the second goal, we started becoming much more accurate as a team making those passes. It wasn't a super convincing victory throughout. There were some periods where Asteras actually dominated possession. One of them was sort of the end of the first half from the 32nd to the 45th minute. And then additionally, from right after the second goal that we scored to the 75th minute, Asteras got a little bit more of the possession. And they actually won more duels in the game than us, although it was more even split in the second half. Yeah, the uh, I think that could be attributed to some of the dips. Uh, we had a lot of players as we start, especially as we started to score. Players started to relax a little bit more. Nothing that I would be a little super worried about. It did trouble me in the first half when, towards the end of the first half, Asteros was definitely getting more aggressive than we were. I thought we were kind of sitting back too much, not really trying to take command of the game. Mm-hmm. So I was happy that you know at least we started to shore up our passing. And then, you know, get those goals and really blow them out because I wasn't super happy with the first half performance. Um, now, kind of diving into really what we did, things that we noticed, uh, you know, top down, majority of our attacks came from the right hand side. I mean, Rafinha was really the, the spine, the backbone of our attack most of the game. We saw he's got some great ability can get by defenders. He was great defensively, very deadly on the offense. Uh, You know, he actually led the team in defensive duels. He not only won the most, but he was also the most successful in terms of that across everything, whether the balls were in the air, whether the balls were on the ground, he was just very solid. Bob, what were your feelings on Rafinha's performance? Uh, I was very impressed for for a debut. Um, couldn't ask more and um, yeah like I said he was very good defensively and he was orchestrating almost everything that was going down the right hand side and uh, his assist for Fortunus's goal was was excellent uh, you could see that he's played at a much much higher level in Greek Super League you can see why he's got all those titles with Bayern um, yeah incredible I, I'm, I know usually I don't like signing all players um, but when you get quite pure quality like him you, you can't you can't ask for any more than that so I'm, I'm very happy to have him and I'm very happy with his first game and let's see what he can do in the week against Simonia. Yeah I thought Rafinha had a, a great game but just jumping off the start of the game the first half was I would agree that it seems we looked like a team that wasn't playing so much it was our first game of the season and especially that midfield uh, Jan and Villa we were super excited to see and I wouldn't say he had a bad game in a sense but things weren't working that three in the midfield of Kamara and Villa and Buhalakis wasn't really clicking and wasn't creating chances and I don't I don't I, I don't see that midfield working going into the future maybe even in Europe in Greece for sure I don't think it's going to work but and just I wonder what you guys thought of that well it's funny that you mentioned in Villa Lambro if we got some uh some really nice analytics courtesy of Y Scout that sort of went over the types of passes that every player for our team was making. And they gave us a map that sort of shows almost the spatial average of where that player was on the pitch uh, when they were in. And if you look at where Envia was and where Bukalakis was just on their average, they were pretty much overlapping each other. Kamara was much more further forward. He was almost playing like a 10. 
And funny enough, Valbuena was moving into the center of midfield as well. So they were actually kind of close. But if you look at Envia and Bukalakis, it just kind of seems like they want to both do the same thing. It's not necessarily a dig at Envia. He seems to be a very good defensive midfielder. But they both seemed like they were kind of limited by the presence of one another. So you maybe have to wonder if the best option moving forward is to give more rotation between those two. And I think certainly when we're playing Greek sides that we expect to score three, four goals against, we don't need both of them on the pitch together. I would definitely agree with that, Peter. I think maybe in Greece we would go with Pepe. Seems to have a bit more offensive ability than Mvila. Mvila is definitely, I know we've talked about it in the past, he looks like a six. This game, he definitely was playing like a six. Now, in terms of his interplay with the, the other players on the team, I think maybe he needs a little bit more time to settle in. You know, this was the first game. Uh, I'm willing to give him a couple more, kind of see if things change. It did, you know, everybody, it wasn't just us. I think everybody noticed. I saw on social media, a lot of people noticed that Bukalakis and Avila were kind of overlapping, occupying the same spaces, both in Greece and then diaspora. Everybody seemed to notice this. Uh, but there were some encouraging things about him. I know that in the past I was a little concerned because I didn't think he was going to be like Guillerme, switching the ball as soon as he won it or got it, trying to change up the pace of play with us. But he actually was doing that. If you look at his passing map, every time he got the ball, he was usually in the middle of the field. He was going directly to the wing. He was sending something down to the wing, whether it was to Rafinha, Radejevic, or on the left side, out to Holebas. He was stretching the width of the field. And that was encouraging to me. It was something that I didn't think we were going to see from him. I thought we were going to see just like the 5, 10-meter passes, maybe 15 meters just to the guys next to him. We did see a lot of him just getting the balls either to the defenders or sitting in the back with the defenders to help relieve play and get it forward. But it was very encouraging for me to see that the first thing he wanted to do usually was spread the field and get the ball out to the width of the field. The movement can be improved on, but I liked at least in terms of the ball movement what I saw from him. And if you look at Envia's pass metrics, he actually, I believe, had the second longest average pass distance at 22.7 meters. And the only person who was averaging longer passes was Ba out of center back, who's, who was, of course, making a lot of long balls forward. And he was just only um, 0.2 meters longer on average. Bob, I know obviously this is all our first time watching Envia, so we all have our opinions on him, but what did you think uh, from from what we saw from him in the first game? Uh, well, obviously he only played the half of the game, so I feel I didn't want to judge him too much um, because he's a player that we're quite excited to have arrive at the club, um, but I didn't really take anything from his performance. Um, I hadn't picked up on his long passing that you just mentioned, but that's interesting, uh, something I'll look out for, but um, obviously so that means if he's making those long passes, then obviously his accuracy is um, going to be quite good if he's confident to make those long passes. But in, yeah, I, in 45 minutes, I'm, I'm not really going to... I didn't see anything on Friday from him. I was a bit disappointed. But again, I'm not going to judge anyone on 45 minutes of football in their, in their first games in a matter of days after he arrived in the country as well. So disappointed, but I'm taking nothing from it, really. Yeah, and for one thing, it's just impressive that he was able to play this game. I did he sign even a week ago? I, I, it's not been very long. And when the news were coming out that he was in such great shape and ready to play, and then the team news came out that he was going to start, I was for one pretty impressed that he was even able to do it. So 
a player who's only been with the team for for a week, 10 days, maybe less. Um, it's impressive that he even started. So I, I, I give him the benefit of the doubt. We'll, we'll see where this goes. Absolutely. Uh, I would like to shift the focus to his midfield partner, Bukalakis. Uh, Bukalakis, there were some questions about, hey, you know, are we going to have a Greek in the lineup? Is Bukalakis going to start in this midfield with the, with the signing of Pepe and Vila and with Mati there? I think Bukalakis answered that question yesterday. Bukalakis was, in terms of the midfielders, one of the more successful with defensive duels, heavily involved on the defensive end. He had the one of the highest recoveries in terms of uh, recovering balls from challenges or loose balls, one of the highest on the team. He had virtually the same offensive statistics as Mahdi in terms of key passes and shot assists. The only thing Mahdi did better than him was that Mahdi had uh, more through balls to split defenders and send people on. And that... Mahdi, we know, has that vision and can do that better than Bukalakis, but that's also Mahdi's job. In this formation, Mahdi was getting further up the pitch. Even though he's box-to-box, -box, he was occupying more of that 10 role as we were getting forward. So he's the one we really expect to do that. And, uh, and now something that surprised me, actually, was uh, when Bukalakis dribbled all down that left side like a winger, beat those two defenders to go down. I didn't know he had that. So that's a little... Uh, Hopefully it's not just a one-off thing. Hopefully that's something in his repertoire that we continue to see. But Bukalakis actually had a solid game. And if I know everybody is very quick to sing the praises about Mahdi, but Bukalakis had the same offensive statistics. He contributed the same number of key balls and had the same number of passes that led directly to shots as Mahdi. Yeah, that, that dribble down the left wing was really hilarious, I would say. Um, uh, it was so clumsy, and then at the end, he did so amazing to make it all the way to the box, and then he took a slight nudge and just, like, flopped down like he was almost <laughs> too tired to keep going. It, it was quite funny. But one thing about Buhalakis, you know, we're bringing in these top-class midfielders, and he's he's stepping up. He, he's performing at a higher level, and I, I'd be interested to see if he, he takes the next step, I thought, especially in that second half. Some of those balls he was producing over the top, the long balls were fantastic, just perfectly timed. It seemed like he was having a, lit, a little bit more space while, uh, while he was playing without Envia right next to him and had Fortunis taking some attention of defenders. For that second half, for me, he played extremely well. And, and, I, and I think he, he really benefits off of having more space and having time to look up and play that long ball over the top because his long passing is a key trait that he has. And I think he did really well with it yesterday, especially in the second half or Friday, I should say. Yeah. And this is something we've brought up. I think we even brought it up in the last podcast uh, or maybe it was two podcasts ago, but Bukalakis is one of the most accurate passers on the team, especially with his long balls. The frustrating thing for us as individuals watching it and watching the game unfold, we want to see him do more of it. We see opportunities where we know he has the ability to send a guy long that's running, and sometimes he just didn't do it. Well, yesterday, he did it a lot more. Yesterday, he had uh, four, four long passes, two that connected beautifully. But normally, he doesn't even do it that often. He also had 13 progressive passes. Now, progressive passes, that's a metric that we brought up in the past where uh, this is a, a long pass that has meaningful movement to the opposition's goal and 
leads to an opportunity that can be dangerous. He had 13 progressive passes, 11 of which went directly to the final third. This is really this is really good news. Bukalakis has not done this before. This is something we've always wanted to see from him, and this is something that can see us well, it can see him really transform from just being that sixth player that covers ground, maybe has some technical ability here and there, to maybe embracing more of that eight role. This is what we want to see from him, and this was very encouraging. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. I was really impressed by what I saw with Bukalakis on Friday. And going back to what you said, Adi, about obviously Olympiakos fans wanting to make sure that there are Greek players in the team, there were a couple of Greeks that made a really big impact off the bench. And uh, we, of course, know Fortunis and Masuras both played really, really well. They were subbed on immediately at halftime. And as, as I sort of alluded to earlier, they really just put a spark into the team. Now, I think Fortunis obviously is a very attacking player and he has that sort of reputation about him. He did actually do a decent job tracking back. Uh, and I think that's something that a lot of people would be surprised to hear. But if you look at the analytics, he had four recoveries in the Olympiacos half of the pitch. And he had three, he was three for three in defensive duels. So we went back and analyzed the film and we saw him literally tracking back and chasing down players, stopping counterattacks for Asteras. It shows that he was really putting in that effort and really running around the pitch in the second half. And then when you look at breaking down their defense. I mean, if you just look at every single goal that we scored, all three of the goals, they were all beautiful. He was involved in every single one of them. Obviously, he scored one. And then on the other two goals, he didn't have the assist, but he had the second assist, which basically means he, you know, made the pass to make the pass, and then that resulted in the goal. And then additionally, he had another key pass and a shot assist, which is, of course, a pass that leads to a shot that doesn't result in a goal. So... That just absolute smattering of playmaking opportunities for Fortunis is just incredible and really prolific for just the half of football that he played. Just to interrupt real quick, Peter, and I know uh, people are going to get salty with us because we're about to bring Bacasetas in this, but there were some people on some forms of social media, I will not say which because I don't want to directly call those individuals out, that watched this game and somehow still thought that Bacasetas was a better 10 than Fortunis was. Bacasetas doesn't, doesn't have those metrics you mentioned in, fi- in the last five games. None. Yeah. Fortunis, mm-hmm. this is him. He is the best player on the Libyakos, arguably, and the best player in Greece. Must be playing, must be breaking these teams down. Yeah, he was, he was absolutely amazing. And I was just... I was obviously glad that we scored the three goals in the second half, but I was also just taken aback by honestly how beautiful the link up was for every like one ball to another. It was just beautiful, beautiful build up, and the finishes were nice as well. And I also we talked about the midfield. Obviously, Fortunis is is generally preferring to be in the ten, playing in the center of the park. We've seen him out on the wings and whatnot. We've even seen him play as a striker in the past. Like he can do it all, but I think he wants to be in midfield. And it sort of begs the question, obviously, when we want to play attacking football, Fortunis is necessary against Greek teams where we want to score three goals. I wonder, and and Bob, I'm actually interested on your opinion on this. 
in Europe, obviously, we might want to be playing a more defensive counterattacking game. How do you see Fortunis fitting into the team? Do you see Mar Martins departing from the 4-3-3 and playing him as that attacking midfielder? Or do you see him playing out on the wings? Or maybe just you see him coming on as a super sub if we're down a goal and need to get back in the game? Uh, I, I see his role as a super sub at the moment, um, mainly just because of how good we were last season. And um, I wouldn't want to change the formula we had last season. We had a very good run in Europe um, against some very good opposition as well. And so I wouldn't really like to see us depart from um, the uh, system we played last year. Um, but obviously, I, the only thing I'm concerned about is obviously he is our, uh, I think he's our highest played player. And so can we really afford to not be playing our, highest paid player in the biggest game so it's a bit of a kind of, bit of a tricky situation really but really um, I'd, I wouldn't want to change formation in Europe I'd want to stay as we are um, and so keep playing players like Masuras and Valbuena and keep uh, Fortunas on the bench for if we need that super sub and then mid-game if we need to change formation because uh, obviously Fortunas has done it before come off the bench in Europe and uh, won us game so I'd potentially just stick with that but then I, I love the guy um, I, I also want to see him start every game so it's it's just a bit unfortunate really that the last couple of seasons obviously he lost his place in the first team and it's just coincided with us getting better again um, so it's just been harder for him to because I always thought when Dominguez left the team would be built around him but it didn't really turn out that way um, so yeah I don't know really yeah, and th this question that Peter asked is actually—it's actually hilarious that you asked it this way. It was a question I heard on Greek radio right after the game. I was just listening to some guys talk the game, and basically the the commentator asked the Greek reporter—I forget—I don't think it was Nikolakopoulos, but someone else—he goes, "Fortunis has done so good coming off the bench. Could he be the star in, in Greek?" They said twelfth player, like super sub, I guess would how we would say it in English. The reporter said. Did you see the the talent and quality of Fortunis? Like, this is a player in Greece. You start like for a Greek team, the level of Olympiakos at this moment to have even think Fortunis should be on the bench is crazy. He, he, his talent is, is is there to for everyone to see, and I'm starting to wonder whether Martins knows how to unlock Fortunis. You know, we've we've seen Fortunis struggle under some managers and pout a bit. I think. Martins is unlocking him. He's getting him to track back as the metrics are showing. And he's really driving him. And I don't know if you guys saw this, but after the game, Fortunis basically said, I spoke with my family and I said, this is going to be the best season I've ever had. And I'm going to be proud to do it. And we'll see if that happens. It's definitely encouraging. Now, um, speaking more to what Bob brought up, I, I, I definitely agree. I think we stick with the 4-3-3 in Europe with a, with a caveat, though. Because obviously we're missing Guillerme, and Guillerme was a huge part of our European campaign. So depending on how Mvila or Pepe kind of fit in here, that's going to really dictate, I think, whether we stick with the 4-3-3 or maybe we do start with Fortunas in the 4-2-3-1. Because if Pepe and Mvila aren't sinking in the way that Guillerme did or doing what Guillerme did or picking up that slack or complementing that midfield, 
I think we could see in that case maybe a reversion to what we did almost two seasons ago or the beginning of last season where we ran the double pivot with Bukalakis and Mari or Bukalakis when it was Guillerme, you know, running that double pivot with Fortunis up top before he got hurt. So I can see that being a case, like I said, with that caveat. It's going to depend greatly, greatly on that. Now, we briefly touched on uh, Holebas earlier. I kind of wanted to go over some metrics into him as well. Uh, I thought Holebas was okay. You know, it, pretty, it seemed pretty clear to me at least what his instructions were, you know, to, to be a little bit less aggressive, kind of, you know, more defensive, get forward really only if there was a strong opportunity. I thought he was okay. We are seeing some pretty clear signs that he is kind of slowing down from what I was used to, at least when he was at Olympiacos. I know he's not the same person. I know he's got some age on him, but I still thought he did okay. You know, he won something. Well, he didn't win most of his defensive and offensive duels. He only won about a quarter of them. Uh, but his passing was solid. He was pretty good in the air. He cleared up loose balls, which is really what we want. The unfortunate thing going forward was that there wasn't much there. He didn't do much. Again, I believe that was probably by design. Um, he didn't connect any of his crosses, unfortunately. Um, not that I can remember if he was super accurate with them anyway to begin with. But uh, this game in particular, there just wasn't a lot going forward. But I think he did probably what he was supposed to do. And we're going to address definitely later in the podcast when we start doing the pre-match analysis for Ammonia, why this is going to be a lot more important for that game. But uh, Bob, what were your thoughts about Holebas? Um, yeah, I don't know if it was at the start of the pod or if it was when we chatted before. Um, yeah, it's, it wasn't the Holebas I expected or the Holebas I saw, but um, yeah, he's had a very quiet game, I thought. Um, but again, that's me used to seeing Holebas as um, the first time in Olympiacos when he was attacking and seeing him in the Premier League where he was um, a left-back that got forward a lot, providing a lot of crosses, whereas I, I didn't see that on Friday. Um, he uh, made a few tackles, but again, it was a very quiet game from him. Absolutely. Now, how about his partner further up the pitch? Uh, you know, Valbuena, as we kind of mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, you know, before we started recording, Valbuena kept sinking in. He kept kind of sneaking into that number 10, occupying the space that really Mari was supposed to be doing. Uh, you know, I, I know Valbuena's getting used to that force, but he kind of pulled the Fortunis for the national team, really stealing that 10 spot, coming in and trying to connect with people. I think that was a result of us really not doing as well getting forward in the first half, but it was kind of funny to see when that happened. And I think that also had an effect on Holebas because as Valbuena continued to shift and drift, it didn't give Holebas that that person there to play off of or that wing the person that the wingback needs to play off of. Now, when Masuras came on and we adjusted the formation a little bit, it definitely helped a little bit more. We saw most of the positivity that came from Holebas came after Masuras came on. You know, Masuras is much more positionally aware in the, that's his spot. That's his position and did very well. Masuras, of course, had a very good game. Uh, two goals, great movement. Four deep completions from him, which is not something we normally see. He's usually a guy that's either going to cross it or get touches in the box. Uh, two key passes, a shot assist. I mean, Masuras was, this was post-COVID Masuras, not the Masuras we saw in the, the Greek Cup. Bob, what were your thoughts on Masuras? 
Masuas was my man of the match, if I'm perfectly honest. Um, love to see him, Fortunas coming on and having a, a good second half and a beautiful goal. But yeah, for me, Masuas, um, everything that happened in and around the area in that second half, Masuas seemed to be involved. He was uh, making passes, he was uh, getting in the way. For me, he had an excellent second half. And um, I know uh, one of your previous pods, I can't remember, I haven't, because I went away, I didn't listen to more, but I know. Um, I don't think you're all big fans of Masuras, are you? But um, myself, personally, I'm a, I'm a big, big fan of Masuras. And um, I'm hoping that he can continue this season to get even better than he was last season. But for me, um, he's a big asset to us. And the fact he's Greek, obviously, is a big, big help as well. Yeah, I mean, we certainly... I think sometimes I'm personally frustrated that when he doesn't get shots on target, and he has been so much better at that recently that really I haven't had anything to criticize him about in recent time but it was funny I was watching the game and I think the first shot he had it was a really hard hit shot I think a left-footed shot hit straight at the goalkeeper but I mean I'm sitting there I'm like all right you got it on target that's great like just keep doing that (laughs) and then he went on to score two goals so we've seen him look worse and he's looking amazing right now and there's it's really hard to criticize him and also as you say he's Greek and I think he made the case that he should be starting just based on what we saw, especially we know that he loves to run and maybe on that left wing, he's more likely to stay on the left wing and support Jovevas. And so with all those things, I think he might be the player that we'll see on the left wing with maybe Valbuena moving over to the right. Yeah, and just a comment, uh, even though we use data, I like looking at data, I feel like at heart I'm a Greek football fan. And what we know about Greek football fans are they're very rational and they one game you're like get in the garbage you're terrible and the next game you're the star new contract so when when i see masuras have a bad game or ranjelovic this game terrible a terror just a poor game from him he, he couldn't get by anyone i feel like at my heart my idea is to react and be like oh this guy's terrible this guy's not playing well and i think with masuras he was having a few bad games and he wasn't getting the ball that that's the one problem for me is getting shots on target I think he struggles sometimes and how many times he takes one on from outside the box and it just skies but once he starts getting those shots on target good things typically happen he has a great work rate we we know that he 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 does the work and in Europe that that's so vital um but I kind of have a love-hate relationship with both my source and Rangelovic I think because sometimes they just don't perform. They're not as consistent. They show flashes, and then sometimes they just don't. And it's difficult for me to kind of say, I love Masuras, I rate him completely, or I love Rangelovic, I, I want him in the team. Because each each do things well, but sometimes they just perform poorly. Yeah, and the thing with Masuras, I mean, look, I'm not going to shy away. I've I've definitely had my criticisms of him before. We've always acknowledged that you know his work rate is fantastic. That's consistently solid, and it's why Martins rates him. The things that have been frustrating to us, especially pre-COVID last season, was his offensive ability, his inability to put shots on target, his inability to connect with people down the field. That was the frustrating stuff for me. Now, post-COVID, post-COVID, Masuras was a different player. Now, Kipalo aside and maybe national team appearance aside – Post-COVID, I think he's more of what I expect 
him to be what I think he has the capability to be better on target, even taking a player on here and there. He doesn't do it very often, but he, he did it a couple times. Uh, we talked about in the keep when he got, uh, when he got a uh, slide tackle, I think by Bakaki's that two footed tackle that uh, sent his, his uh, shin guard flying up. So Masuras is playing much more now close to what I believe he can and expect them. And I think that's probably Part of the reason I know I'm harder on Greek players, I really am, because I expect more out of them. And that's something I definitely, you know, I will admit that. I can admit that to everybody. I am harder on Greek players because I expect better of them. It's why I always, you know, rag on Bukhalakis and Fortunis. And part of the reason uh, as well that I do the same with Masuras. I am harder on Greek players. I know that. And I know most Greeks are as well. It's, it's something we've addressed. It's something that's not really fair because we tend to give a little bit more leniency to foreigners than we do to Greeks. But that's because we're Greek. We expect the best out of them. Now, we've kind of started to discuss Radejevic a little bit. So I would like to shift the focus to him. Radejevic, I also thought had a had a pretty poor game. You know, just as we were saying that we thought Radejevic was finally playing more complete games, we thought we were getting that real uh, winger out of them, a player that could be that day in day out winger. We see another game where Radejevic is just completely off. Everything was off target. Lost the ball a lot. Now he wasn't the worst in the team, losing the ball, giving up possession cheaply, but he was one of the highest. Uh, like I said, crossing was subpar. His dribbling, which is usually terrorizing the defenses, he was getting pretty easily dispossessed this time. Um, not making the best decisions. Lost almost all of his offensive duels. He was getting run off the ball. He was a solid defensively, which I'll say is probably one of the good things, is that now at least we're getting him to track back and play some defense, which was more difficult in the beginning of last season. But overall... Not one of his best performances, and I'm, I'm hoping that we see better from him, especially in the upcoming playoffs. Uh, Bob, what were your thoughts on Radejevic uh, two days ago? Yeah, as you say, a very poor game from him, um, but I tend to find that that's what we expect from uh, Radejevic. One game he can look like a world beater, the next game uh, just non-existent in a game, and yeah, yeah I didn't see anything from him um, on Friday. Uh, I, was, I was actually glad to see him come off. Um, yeah, just Disappointing, really. Uh, I, I actually think um, I was very excited with him at the start of last season, and at times he's looked amazing. But I do think I don't like us constantly signing players and loaning them out. But in his uh, situation, I think I think we should try. I, I think he's maybe too much cemented into the first team squad now to go out on loan. But uh, I do think on loan, even if it was just half a season, would actually do him the world of good. In all honesty, uh, maybe send him out to Iris or somewhere just until Christmas and just to get, get him first-team football, like, week in, week out. Because um, while I see he's a bit um, hit or miss, in all fairness, we don't start him week in, week out either. So I, I think he deserves a run of games. So he should go to a club where they can just give him guaranteed starting position uh, every game and, and just let him develop naturally. Because he is very young as well, but he's undoubtedly got more talent. Just sadly, we didn't see it on Friday. And, yeah, for me, he's not a starting winger for us at the moment going into this season. Yeah, and I, I think your comment is backed up 100% by the club. The The club has been hunting wingers. We've been linked with, God, every winger in Turkey, this, this transfer window, it seems. And and it, 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 if you read some of the news articles in Greece, it seems like we've been looking for a winger since January. We, we saw Emre Moore come in. That was a fiasco. That didn't work. 
we're looking for the right one at the moment. I, Gary Rodriguez, Levi Garcia, who signed with Ike. Names, names, names. We're definitely in the market for a winger. I think the club sees Valbuena as a mainstay. And we can discuss whether we think that that's plausible at his age for this season. But I think the club sees we need one more quality winger. And I think the, the trust in Rangelovic isn't there yet with the club. I think he's playing a lot because we need him to play. And he's shown potential to, to fill that role, as you mentioned. You mentioned uh, Valbuena. Yeah, I've got doubts over his age, but I thought that when we signed him last summer, but he proved me wrong. He was amazing. But I do actually think it, rather than sending Van der touch on what you said, we could, I also think we should show more faith in him. If we could use him as our league winger, start him in every league, and we could be the club that give him um, the first team opportunities, but it doesn't seem like we are because at the minute we're playing Valbuena in every league game and we're playing Valbuena in every European game. And this is a 37-year-old at the end of the day. We're, I don't think we can keep playing Valbuena for all these games. So um, we might even have the answer ourselves in Vandelovic, but at, at, at the minute it doesn't look as though we're willing or Martins isn't willing to give him that first team opportunity. But um, I do think that could actually solve the problem itself. But, um, and then by by Christmas, rather than loaning Vandelovic out, we'd know whether he was actually good enough to be a first team. Um, player for us or not um, but for, for me well Balbuena is an excellent player and I think we're very lucky to have him but yeah he, he's not getting any younger and I don't think we can get another 40 games out of him this season we need to manage his game time um, a lot more I think we were lucky we're not, no one's lucky that Covid happened but in footballing terms I think we were actually lucky that Covid hit and Valbuena had that few months break in the middle of the season because otherwise, otherwise I think um, we would have done a lot worse with him come the end of the season if the season had continued as as it should have yeah and just a quick comment Valbuena I don't know if you guys remember throughout the season it just seemed like news breaking Thursday night or Friday night after practice Valbuena has a small knock he may be out for a week or two I'm putting it in the cards that that's going to happen quite a bit this season and I think I think we need some support on the winger at the wing position we see even now Bruno is getting a pretty Pretty decent run out. He 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 was one of the I, was he the third sub? I want to say the first one after Fortunis and Masuras. So I don't know if Martins is thinking of giving him some run out. I I thought he was going on loan all summer, but maybe not now. It's it, it's an interesting situation because again we have Rajelovic and Masuras who we we all are kind of we rate and we think they're good enough, but we're not sure if they're the one. They're not the superstar. So it's a tough one. It's also tough because we look at what we've had in that position in the past, right? We had Podenza there. So I think part of that kind of offsets what our expectations maybe should be because, you know, Podenza was a player that we were really, really lucky to get. If that's pitch invasion doesn't happen in sporting, we don't get Podenza because there's no way sporting is going to sell him to us for the fee even the the 8 million we was 7 or 8 million we ended up giving to them there's no way we get a player like that you know we were very lucky to get podenza when we did get him we were very lucky to experience had the experiences that we had with him and see kind of his development with us we're not going to get another winger like that you know with the with the snap of our fingers it's it's going to be a lot more difficult it we have to develop that and i i I like kind of what bob said there because 
it's definitely very interesting. You know, this is a perfect case of, you know, we have a raw player that really needs game time to, to find that form. And I think part of the reason Lazar was finding some of that form was that we were playing him. Look towards the end of the season and post COVID, he was playing constantly and look what that did for him. Now, some people will say, well, that's not, that may not be necessarily indicative of that. Maybe he actually just started playing well and that's why he was getting more game time, kind of a chicken or egg argument here. But at the moment, we, we're kind of short on wingers. Personally, I think we should just kind of roll with them, at least for, you know, a few more, a few games. Give them the month. Let them keep starting. We're seeing better performances than not usually, especially post-COVID. I think we should just roll with them, see what we've got, get some consistency, and then if it doesn't turn out, okay, you know, maybe we figure out what to do with them then, send them on loan. But I'd prefer that we give them the chances, especially when we're going to be, you know, at least early in the season, dominating some of these Greek teams. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think what Bob touched on initially and Adi uh, piggybacked on is a much bigger issue in terms of team rotation that we saw last year a bit. And I think, I really hope that we see a lot more team rotation in general with Martins. I mean, we think about the, how old both of the fullbacks we used are. And obviously Valbuena is getting older. And just in general, I, especially against Greek teams, we have the depth now, like look at all the midfielders we have, where we can really just rotate guys in and out. Now, going to... The, I think the only attacker we haven't really touched on uh, is El Arabi at striker. We talked in the last podcast after the cup final about how he was sort of disappointing. And he, of course, didn't get on the score sheet today and honestly missed a lot of really good opportunities, arguably too many. Hassan came on for him, I think, right around the same time Bruno came on in like the 70th minute. And, I mean, Hassan also didn't score, but... There's some murmurings, I think, people maybe having the thought creep into their head that Hassan might actually be closer to El Arabi than we think. Now, I want to just provide the point that despite the fact that El Arabi was really poor in terms of scoring himself, he is a really good striker in terms of hold-up play. And I think that's something that's come with the experience that he has. He had two key passes and three shot assists in the game against Asteras, which is obviously something that Hassan can't do. So I know we all want to see El Arabi really get into that goal-scoring form. And, I mean, I personally was calling for him to be subbed off at halftime for Hassan just because I wanted to hopefully see us get a goal. And Hassan has that weird knack for scoring timely goals in late games. But I think El Arabi, hopefully, you know, he can get back into goal-scoring form, but he did still affect the game in other ways, which is at least nice to see. I mean, he's not a super good dribble in, in terms of like long-term dribbling the ball a lot, but he does hold the ball up pretty well. Yeah, and I think that's really what gives him value. Because I will say this, again, even though Hassan only played about 30 minutes, uh, Hassan did have a couple of decompletions, and I think he ended up having a third assist as well, if I remember correctly. Uh, Hassan had a I played well in his 30 minutes. I thought he did a, a good job. Now, El Arabi, despite his playmaking ability and what he did on the field, I still would say he had a poor game. But so here's where, here's where the comparison comes in when you would rather, who you would rather have on the pitch. Because I did see some people say, oh, let's just go with Hassan while El Arabi's on a drought. On a really good game for Hassan, you get some playmaking ability. It's not usual. A bad game from Hassan is nothing. You get absolutely no production. 
bad performances from El Arabi result in playmaking ability and a multitude of opportunities created. This is the difference between a better player and a player with, let's just say, less potential. Again, I don't want to knock Hassan. He's had very important goals for us and has this weird knack of scoring goals despite seeming super awkward with the ball at his feet. I will give him that. But El Arabi is just a more complete player at the nine position. He can pass the ball. He can create opportunities. It's just right now his finishing is absolutely horrendous. Bob, what are your thoughts on El Arabi's performance uh, and the whole El Arabi-Hassan situation? Yeah, I see exactly what you're saying. He he offers a lot to the uh, team, even when he's not scoring. He is, like I say, his hold of play is very good, and he does bring others into the attack as well, um, which is what we need. Uh, but I can't I can't look past the drought. If I'm honest, um, he, he's without doubt the best striker of the club. I'm I'm not even putting Hassan in the same league as him at all. Mm-hmm. Um, like they, they're worlds apart. Just for me, for like, you can even see it on uh, El Arabi's face. You know, it's. He, I just, um, he's all, he's our main striker. We can't afford to bring in anyone better than him. He's a very good striker, um, but for me, he just needs to sit on the bench for one game and come on for the last twenty minutes, and then the next game after that, start uh, be straight back in the starting lineup. He just, I think he's just got too much pressure on him at the minute. Yeah, I think is it eight games he's gone, eight or nine games now without a goal, and mm-hmm. I just it's a weight on his shoulders. I just think he needs to sit. Sit the next game out. Actually, not the whole game. So even against Ammonia, I'd start Hassan, um, bring him on last twenty minutes, and then he's back in the starting line. The next game. I just think he needs. He's just got too much pressure on it, and he's just going into the games with I don't know, this massive weight on his shoulders. But like I say, he as a team player, he's, he's excellent, and uh, well, I think he's probably the best striker we've had since Mitroglou, in my opinion. Um, so yeah, I've, I, I love the guy. I don't want to go anyway, um, but just. He needs to break. He just needs to needs to rest, just to reset, and then try again. I don't think anybody would mind that as well. I mean, uh, I brought it up with uh, in a previous podcast. You know, form is temporary, class is permanent, uh, and we know El Arabi's class. The king of Qatar, he is going to score goals again. This is a form dip. I am confident he's going to get back into it. Um, uh, but now I would like to pivot. We haven't discussed our center backs at all. We haven't discussed the job they did. So I would like to pivot the conversation over to them. Now, I thought both center backs had, had solid games. Ba especially. Ba had one of the best defensive performances, period. He had a 100% win rate in all duels. 100%. He won every single thing that came near him in the air of course he he was solid he wasn't 100 in the air but he won most of his battles that were in the air nine interceptions five clearances led the team in both almost a perfect defensive performance from him almost uh even played the ball out the back a little bit more on his own instead of just giving the ball to semedo who does have better technical ability on the ball Ba is just developing and continuing to develop into a wonderful center back. Not just the surprise of last season for us, but one of the surprises of the decade in terms of a player. I mean, I'm talking on the level of surprise, like seeing Magnatis converted into a midfielder 
out of nowhere just because we needed somebody. This this is a huge surprise to me, uh, a whole Lebas type of surprise when we brought in a random player from second or third division Germany and ended up becoming a mainstay in our lineup, even after a coaching change. Major surprise from Ba. Absolutely loved his performance. Yeah, I mean, for me personally, ever since he's made his way into the team, he's really become one of my favorite players at the club. Um, as you said, like, literally a guy who came from an absolutely horrible team in the second division of France that were getting relegated. And I think without him, they've been relegated again or were close to it last season. And he's just absolutely showed out. He's an amazing defensive center back and he's also improving on the ball. And yeah, he just, he seems like just a really, a really good player and a good person and a hard worker. And then that's really all you can ask for in terms of the players that we bring in. And I, I think the, the, the center-back partnership has been a really interesting story basically since the beginning of last season when we've, or I should say since the emergence of Ba, when we've had him, Semedo, and Cisse all sort of vying for two of those three starting spots. And my opinion always goes back and forth on who is the pairing. Lambra, I wonder what are your thoughts on sort of potentially what is the best pairing of the two center-backs we have at the club? Yeah, so I, I agree so much about Bobby and that surprise, you know, when he came on for Avram when he tore his hamstring in the first 10 minutes of the Victoria Plazen game almost a year and a month ago now. He did not look like he was going to become this this central defender, to be honest with you guys. I was, I was like, wow, this is going to be a long project. This is going to be a few loans. We need Media back instantly, you know, how times change. Um. But again, Peter, yeah, to your question, I I like this center-back pairing a lot. Um, ba, when he's working with Cisse, I, I, I've spoken to you guys about this. I just feel there's some nerviness because both of them aren't as gifted technically on the ball. So I think they kind of have a bit of mental freakouts because they're both not ball-playing center-backs, I guess you would call them. And, and they really... But next to Semedo, who is such a good ball-playing center back, his passing is perfect, his dribbling. Even I, I noticed his positioning, he knows when to wheel out, almost like to create space for the goalkeeper to play him into a stride and make a, a nice pass up the field. It, it seems like either of them needs to play with Semedo, I, I would say, or next to Semedo, but I think Ba is the first choice, which is kind of a crazy thing to say. Sisewe was our star center back just two years ago. But yeah, I, I enjoy Ba and, and Semedo together. Absolutely. Absolutely. Bob, how did you feel about uh, Ba's performance today? Uh, Friday. <laughs> I've done, I haven't seen him play today. <laughs> sorry, a couple of days ago. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, no, very solid. Um, but didn't. it was against the Stannis, so they've got an agent Morales in the team. Um, Again, he looked very solid, but um, overall, I'm very impressed with his um, improvement over the last season. But uh, on Friday, yeah, he did exactly what I expected him to. I, I wouldn't expect him or any of our central defenders to come unstuck against Asteris, so if I'm totally honest with you. Um, we'll see as uh, the harder games come. But um, so, again, I'm not really taking much from Friday at all um, across, across the park. Um, but... As a, as a defender and as one of our assets, I'm very happy with Bar. And um, I think he's overtaken CC in the pecking order. Uh, for me, it is Semedo, Bar, and CC in that order now, if I was to pick them. Uh, but 
yeah, he's, he does everything I want and I'm very happy with his uh, improvement and for someone that we got for so little from the second division in France, he's another gem we've found. Uh, but yeah, Friday he, he was okay, but I'd expect, I'd expect nothing else. Absolutely. Now, Semedo, Semedo also had a solid game. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. It's Asteras. You know, we shouldn't be surprised that our defenders played so well against them. But Semedo, uh, I was concerned about a couple of things for Semedo. Now, obviously, he did very well as well. Eight interceptions. Um, he won the majority of his defensive duels. I mean, not 100% like Bob, but again, won the majority we would expect. Led the team in recoveries. Recoveries, again, is a metric when somebody goes in for a challenge or a ball gets kind of bobbled up somehow, and he was in there to sweep it up. So it's good to see that, especially if Ba's the one making most of those challenges for those interceptions and those pressures. You want to make sure that your other center back is doing his job to help clean it up. But the thing that bothered me, and this is something that's been bothering me for I'd say, especially since the second half of last season, is this laissez-faire attitude almost with which I see Semedo and man-marking. I hope that now with the Benfica transfer possibilities kind of out the, out the way, that maybe he would be a little bit more focused and maybe that wouldn't be something I'd be considering as an issue. But I'm not enjoying when I'm seeing him very lazily man marking on set pieces or even in the run of play when he's clearly supposed to be on his man. And we know Martins wants very close and solid man marking because we see all of our defenders right on them all the time, whether it's set pieces or something else. And Semedo is very lenient and very laissez-faire, especially in the second half of last season, post-corona, and now giving space to those guys. And we almost we almost ate a couple opportunities because when, when Bukhalakis gave the ball away in literally in our box, when he had a couple of those failed clearances or lost the ball that led to some shots, those shots and those opportunities that were leading to shots were from Semedo's guy. Semedo's man was just unmarked. Semedo's man was there able to get some type of possession without too much pressure. Again, it is Asteras and you know, Semedo, I'm not saying Semedo didn't have a great game. That's just questionable behavior for me on the eve of our upcoming Champions League playoff game. You know, in Champions League, you can't give that kind of leeway to anybody. You have to be almost perfect because you don't want to give up something like that. In Champions League, you might not be able to bring that back. Yeah, and I... I'm going to come to the defense of us that have right now. They did beat Panathinaikos 1-0. You know, that's, that's, you know, they're, they're not the worst team in the, the Super League by any stretch. Um, but yeah, I, I would just build on that, you know, watching Semedo, especially in Greece, he's quite complacent. You know, he kind of, he moves around the pitch like he knows he he's too good or he he's a top player. You know, you, you can almost see it when he plays in Greece. Like he, he just the way he moves, the passes he attempts, he he definitely takes his foot off the gas. And then in Europe, in Europe, he steps it up big times, I feel. But I, I see what you mean. Like it even in derby games too, I think he he drops focus sometimes. And that's something that definitely worries me about him as well. It'll be be interesting how things go. And and one one last comment and excuse I'll make for him. He was positive for coronavirus and after I guess the end of the season, he hadn't trained for almost three weeks. He went on his vacation, and then he was stuck in quarantine for two weeks. So I give him some slack there. But, yeah, I'm expecting better from him, you know, coming up, especially against Ammonia. He can't let his performance level drop. 
Bob, what were your thoughts on this? Uh, yeah, I agree with Lambros. Um, I often see him um, when he's playing in Greece, he, he just oozes class and um, he almost doesn't even have to try. Um, but I think uh, I was a bit concerned in the second half of last season, so I, I don't know if I don't know what was going on behind the scenes, if he had already started having um, discussions back in Portugal uh, about a move, so I don't know if he had his head turned and he lost his focus. Um, but I want the cement what we had uh, at the start of last season. And uh, I hope now, if that's all sorted, the transfer dealings this summer is, is staying with us. Hopefully he can uh, refocus and, um, again, I think someone of his quality, he, he's far too good for the Greek Super League, so I don't think we'll ever get his focus in the league games. So I think that's something we just have to accept. Um, but as long as we can have his focus and uh, just really cherish him for the European games, really. And yeah, I hope hope we do well with him. Uh, but um, yeah, I'm, I hope he... I was a bit disappointed a couple of weeks ago uh, when I saw that he wanted to leave and I'd already written him off, but now he's staying. I, I hope he is fully committed to us and it's not... And he's not just staying with us for the wrong reasons. I hope he is staying with us because he generally wants wants to stay with us because he's, he's excellent. He's, he's the best defender we've had since man last left. Um, and yeah, I just I just want him to be one hundred percent committed to the club. Uh, otherwise, I'd rather play a lesser player. If I'm totally honest with you. Yeah, I I agree, and I hope that especially for Europe, he can really get his focus together and realize that this is a big stage, and we're going to need him to be on top form. Talking about those European games, I think we're gonna we're gonna start talking about the Ammonia playoff coming up in a bit here. But before we do that, I think we should all go around and just list off who our MVP is, who our man of the matches, and then also give, Mar- give uh, Martins a coaching grade, you know, from like an A to a D on how he did managing the game. I can go ahead and start. I think my MVP, I will say, I think Rafinha, Masuras, and Fortunis all have very good cases for it, but I'm going to say Fortunis just because he scored the goal or he scored a goal and he was so involved in everything. Um, you know, helping create and move forward to the second goals. And obviously, Masuras came out at the same time as him. I think Masuras also has a very good shout to be that man of the match. But when they both came on, the game absolutely changed. And as a result of that, I'm going to give Martins... I'll give him I'll give him an A today, you know, uh, or Friday, rather, just because he saw what was necessary and made the necessary changes, which I think is like, in the moment as a manager pretty much the, the number one thing you can do is to, to make those subs and be dynamic about your changes. And I think he did a good job with that. He realized that we need more attacking players in the team. He realized Lazar isn't having his best day. Make those changes. Game immediately changes. Bob, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, my man of the match or my MVP um, goes to Masuras, but as previously mentioned, it could be either Fortunis, Masuras. It's undoubted it was those two that... Uh, won us the game, changed the game, um, and both of them heavily involved in everything that happened in the final third on Friday. Uh, but yes, personally, um, I'm a big Masuas fan, and the two goals just swing it slightly. But again, I, I couldn't argue with uh, whoever you put, picked out of those two. Um, even Camera, Camera seemed um, to be involved with a lot, everything that happened on the ed- edge of the 18 yard box. Like Camera seemed to be there. He seemed. Um, yeah, he seems to be involved with anything, but no, Masuras for me. And as for Martins, I give him a 
give give him an E. Um, I want to say a B just because the performance. I, I well, it was two different halves. Um, like the first half didn't excite me or thrill me too much um, as an entertainment point of view. But exactly like you say, he identified the problems, wasn't afraid to make two changes at halftime, and so he identified the weakness in his selection. Uh, maybe he was a bit too. He's uh, maybe I should have waited until a week later. Um, but again, yeah, I didn't find the problem and corrected it. And it worked, his changes worked. So, yeah, spot on. That's an A. That's what you want in your manager. Yeah, and I guess for me, I would say, uh, I think I, I would also go with Fortunis. I just think he, he does such a good job of unlocking uh, teams that... I, I, he, his his key passes, just his movement, it opens up things for the rest of the team, I feel. And we discussed how that affected Buharlakis as well with his passing. So I would probably go man of the match for Tunis. Um, grade I, for Martins, I would I would I think I would say B plus because again the the first half lineup I I, I guess how, how was he supposed to know that MV and Buharlakis would play the same exact area and that they wouldn't work so well together? You know that. It's tough on me to knock him for that, but he saw it in the first half. He addressed it immediately, and it's really nice that he's not afraid to say, okay, I got it wrong, two players off, two players on right away. So I think he did a good job. So for me, uh, it was really difficult because I was really stuck between Masuras and Fortunis for man in the match. But in the end, I'm going to give it to Fortunis, again, just because goal. he was involved in every goal, whether he scored it or gave the assist for it. He was involved in everything created a lot. Masuras also created, and he had those two goals. And getting the goals is very important. You know, you have to score the goals to actually win the game. So it's very important. It was very tough. But I think Fortunis was more the key in unlocking this. And Masuras, although he did a lot for it, I think Fortunis was the the mastermind behind that. And he's really what drove us to win this game, despite Masuras you know, scoring the two goals and also helping out a lot. So again, it was very close. It's definitely between the two, but I'm going to end up going with Fortunis. And then with the, with Martinez's grade, I was thinking, I was thinking B plus as well, but I'm going to end up giving him an A. And, and here's why, because for me, when it comes to coaching, uh, you know, the lineups, the lineups obviously are based off of form. The lineup is based off of, is going to be based off of what he sees in training that we don't. Now, obviously, we want managers to experiment a little bit here and there, especially in Greece against a side like Asteras. We want him to tinker. So I'm, I'm not overly upset with him, including Mvila. You know, I wanted to see how Mvila was going to play personally. And I think Mvila just needs a little bit more time with the team. For me, the most important thing, because this is something that we have really criticized Martins about in the past, not just last season, but the season before, was his game management, not subbing on early enough, not making changes early enough, despite maybe a lackluster performance or a mediocre performance. So seeing him really identify the problems that were, were very visible to us, addressed it immediately and getting that meaningful impact, making another change, again, more meaningful impact. I give him an A because I think he managed the game very well, and he did exactly the things that I would have wanted him to do personally. So I give him an A. And you mentioned the early substitutions. I think it is, you sort of have to have the cojones to really say like, all right, halftime, we're doing it. We're changing this, especially with a player and via on his debut, who everyone is so excited about. And, and as we talked about, I don't think it was as much an issue of Envia playing badly as it was of just like, 
we realize that he and Bugalakis don't really work well on the pitch and Bugalakis is playing well, we're going to leave him on. But, you know, things like that, taking off a player that you just signed for big, well, it was a free transfer, but we're paying him big wages. You know, he's a big signing and you just took him off in his debut at halftime. That can be interpreted pretty badly. You know, I, I could see the Greek press having a field day with that one, like, you know, as far as the relationship between coach and player. But I think the fact that Martins did that and it worked and it made the change, um, I'm assuming hopefully MV is, is okay with that and realizes that, you know, maybe they just don't really gel well on the pitch and MV will get more opportunities to play a whole 90, um, you know, maybe just with different personnel. But I was really just impressed that he he had the – as I said, the cojones to make that decision and it, it did end up panning out for us as well. Yeah, definitely. And let's hope that Martins brings this solid coaching management to uh, our upcoming Champions League playoff. And let's, while we're talking about it, let's dive right into it. So we did some analysis about Ammonia. Uh, I personally watched film from the game, uh, Ammonia versus Red Star, uh, just trying to identify what it was what it is that Ammonia does, what we need to look out for, what we need to adjust for. Uh, Ammonia, uh, the Cypriot teams, especially in Europe, they play very defensive. They play very compact. Apoel did it. Not, it's not surprising. You know, This is how they're going to succeed. They're smaller clubs. This is the approach they take, and they tend to be pretty successful at it. Most of the Cypriot clubs are, are they're, they're winning more than Greek clubs right now in Champions League. So this isn't something that is should be surprising to anybody. They're midfielders. They have two midfielders, uh, the Gomez's, I call them. Um, they're not going to stray very far from the back line. Against Red Star, they were, very, they were very tight. They were sitting right in front. They were really only moving forward when they had, clearly had the ball getting on the counter. And even then, really only one was getting further forward. So they're going to be very compact. They're going to try and cover those lanes and diffuse pressure to the outside. This is what they're going to do all the game. They can also hurt us on the counter. This was something Red Star succumbed to very early on, and it was more difficult for them to adjust. They did adjust, but unfortunately it was too late. Uh, I mean, even though they didn't cop the goal on the counter, but it was something that constantly was getting Red Star in, in dangerous positions. Um, they were working a lot, especially on the counter, on the, the defensive left flank of Red Star. Now, earlier in the podcast, when we were talking about Holebas, I said this was going to be important because we saw Holebas was staying very defensive. And it seemed like it was deliberate because he, he had the ability to get forward and we know he likes to get forward, but he wasn't. I think this is instruction because Omonia was crushing the left side of this flank. They have a, a striker named Fotios Papoulis who loves to take people on. And he was trying to dribble on that left flank of Red Star constantly, and he was pretty successful at it. They were doing a lot of work down that left flank. So Holebas needs to be very careful in this upcoming game because they are going to do a lot down that left side. They're, very, they're much more comfortable going down that side. And when I'm saying the left side, I mean, I mean our left defensive side, just so people aren't getting confused. So this is something we're going to have to monitor. This is sort of unrelated, but you mentioned, obviously, they've just defeated Red Star. And obviously, we have good relations with Red Star. We talked about how both Serbia and Cyprus are ahead of us in the coefficient. But I think, hopefully, the fact that Omonia defeated Red Star will give us some extra incentive to beat them in the upcoming round. I know 
If you go to the Olympiakos FC official Instagram post where they announced that we're playing Ammonia, you can see a bunch of Serbian people in the comments saying like, avenge our fallen brothers. We must beat <laughs> Ammonia, which, which I thought was really nice to see. Obviously, um, for those who aren't familiar, Olympiakos and Red Star Belgrade in Serbia have a very strong relationship between the clubs, um, you know, for a variety of reasons, but it's been that way for a very long time in, in both football and basketball and other things like that. Yeah, uh, it's. I was. I was actually quite surprised that they beat uh, Red Star. I. I don't know if you guys know this, but Ammonia has never made the group stage competition of any European competition. Uh, if if we're going to be a top European team, we, we should win this tie. Um, it's going to be tricky. They're going to. They're going to. They're going to pack it in, and and that leads me to think: Is the four three three is that going to work against Ammonia? Because they're going to want to. They want to keep it tight as long as they can. They're probably going to try for a one nil, a nil nil, a one one. They, they're going to want to keep the score low, low. And I, I, I don't know. I, I think we may need Fortunis. It's almost like you're playing a Greek team here. It's well, it is a Greek team. Uh, not to get too political, but it's they're going to be playing very defensive, you know. So it, it's it's going to be tough to break them down. I don't know. What what do you think, Bob? Uh, yeah, they're definitely going to be tough to uh, break down because um, we, when when I saw that we were first going to have either Ammonia or uh, Red Star, I was obviously hoping it would be Ammonia um, because I perceived them to be an easy opposition. But since uh, they've qualified and I've started looking into them, it's I'm not as confident. Uh, well, we will and should beat them, but uh, I'm not taking it as lightly as I did that they were a very, very strong defensively team. Like they've got, they're managed by Henning Berg, who mm-hmm. is a three-time Premier League winner and Champions League winner with Manchester United, and he was the defender. So, and he's worked wonders on that team. I, I was looking, and uh, the season before he arrived, I think they conceded 24 goals in their 22 games. It was last season they halved that, and they only conceded 13 goals in the same amount of games. Um, and if you look at their qualification this year, they've uh, played uh, the Armenian champions Ararat Armenia, and that was nil nil. Went to extra time, and they won it one nil in extra time. They played the Polish champions um, uh, Legia Warsaw, who are a far bigger team than Ammonia, and I was impressed that they even managed to overcome those. And that was nil nil after um, 90 minutes, and then they managed to score two goals in extra time. That game and then again um, the only goal they conceded in qualification was against Red Star who were the best of the three sides they um, played so in uh, what, three three and a half hours of football they've only uh, no sorry four and a half hours of football they've only conceded one goal um, so yeah it's going to be like I say they're going to be playing for a nil-nil or one-nil um, so it's, they're going to be very very tough to break down um, so yeah you could be right maybe Fortunis is the man even though um, I previously said that um, personally, I wouldn't start him, but against Ammonia, um, I, I don't like using the term lesser opposition, but uh, in all honesty, what is lesser opposition? Maybe Fortunus is the man to have the key to unlock them. Well, and uh, I'm glad you brought that up. And this is why Fortunus is going to be so important, because all of the dangerous opportunities I saw the opposition get against Ammonia, it came off of trying to pull the defense out. And really playing those one-two passes, quick one-touch, you know, back-forth, or, you know, we call them one-twos when one person passes the ball, gets the ball passed right back to them as they're making the run. 
Omonia seems to play more of like a zonal defense. For, for Americans, you'll understand that in with football, zone defense is very position-based. It's you're holding your position and you're passing off players to other defenders depending on how they move. You don't try not to get sucked in. Now, what seems to happen is when you're going through and playing these quick one-touch passes and trying to break through, you can disrupt their zonal marking. And this is very, this is going to be very important for us because this is something Fortunus does a lot. And this is how he carves through Greek teams is how he carves through more defensive sides. We are going to have to do this. We can't play a slower paced game, a Portuguese paced game. These guys are very physical. They're good in the air. And we can't rely on set pieces to score against them because they are really good defending them. I don't want to see us do that. I want to see us trying to carve through them. So I would prefer, personally, a Fortuna start to try and break through. You know, and in a case like this, especially while El Arabi is not in great form, see Hassan, who's really good in these set pieces or really good just getting these scrappy goals. That's probably what we're going to need coming out of this game. You know, now the nice thing about this is we do have two legs, so. Luck shouldn't play as much of a factor. Skill should. We have better players. You know, I'm, I'm not going to try and sugarcoat it. We, we're a bigger team. We have a better team. But they are very good defensively. They know how they're going to succeed. They know what their strengths are. And we need to break those down. Yeah, agreed. And I think another plus of having a two-leg format is we can see how they play in the first leg and have more time to react. It's not necessarily the end of the world if, we, if they sort of catch us off guard. Uh, with that, I, as we sort of begin to close here, Bob, do you have any more final thoughts on the Omonia game? Maybe a prediction of the score for the first leg? Just general thoughts of what you want to see, what you think we will see, and how you think the game will end. Uh, I just want to see us uh, continue attacking. Um, so uh, whether that's with or without Fortunis, I'd like to see us, especially since we're home in the first game, uh, I'd like to see us uh, really attack uh, from the off. I don't, want, I don't want us to play too defensive. Um, I, I'd like to, at the end of the day, this is a team, um, no matter how good I've said they are defensively, at the end of the day, this is a team we beat 3-0 in a friendly uh, less than two months ago. So um, I'd like a repeat of that. Obviously, if we could get a 2-0 score to take across the site first, then uh, that would be ideal. But uh, again, don't take them too lightly because they've done very well in their three qualification rounds so far. Um, and yeah, and they've got some young striker, um, Kali Senna, I don't know how you pronounce his name, uh, on loan from Basel. And I was looking into mm -hmm. him and um, he's come through the Juventus Academy. And I think he got two goals uh, in six games in the UEFA Youth League last year. So uh, he's possibly one to watch out for. He could um, cause us a little bit of a problem. Uh, but yeah, don't take them too lightly, but shouldn't be anything uh, to be afraid of. And yeah, just attack from the off early. I think that's exactly right. I, I think I really want to see a Krasnodar first leg in comparison to a Basak Shir second leg, if if I could put it in our European qualifying history of last year. And the formation is going to be key. I, I I just don't know how you go 4-3-3 with Mvia again. So I, I I wonder how he's going to do that. And and something we haven't discussed real quick it sounds like Jose Sa is back in full training. Is he going to make the game? It's unclear, but he could play as well. Um, it's going to be an interesting lineup, and it's going to be important that he gets it right, I think, over the two legs. I agree. Uh, you know, this, I don't think we're going to see too much of a deviation from the lineup. Uh, 
I'm going to be honest. I would be surprised if we don't see Radejevic because in terms of our wingers, he really is, you know, even on his, his off games, he really is great at running at the, those defenders and trying to pull the defenders out. So I think we're going to probably see him. We'll probably see Valbuena on the other end, um, or maybe even Masuras, because uh, Masuras' goal form is, is there, you know, especially post-COVID. So I don't think we'll see too many surprises. Unfortunately, knowing Martins, I expect that we'll do the 4-3-3 despite our, you know, uh, our judgment. I think we're going to see that to begin with, and then he'll probably, you know, make some adjustments in the second half of the first leg uh, to go from there. But um, as again, as far as the goals of the game, you know, I just hope that we watch the counter. Bukalakis, you know, I hope he kind of, as we're moving forward, is sitting more on that left side to assist with Holebas because they do like to go down that side. We we need to make sure we break that down, get those one-twos working. And then most importantly, this is something we brought up in previous podcasts, we cannot let up in the second half. Even if we get a lead, we need to keep pushing on them. We can't let them get into this game and then try and upset us. So um, that's what I'm hoping we see out of the game. And I think if Olympiacos uh, achieves those goals, we get a victory. All right. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that analysis. And uh, it'll be a very interesting game for sure. I'm really excited to watch. And we'll be back with some commentary of that, of course, in the future. But until then, Bob, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on. Uh, you provided some absolutely amazing analysis and insight and it was really, really great to chat with you about Olympiacos and just talk about the game. This is the first Super League game of the season, so obviously really nice to break things down. We saw a lot of new stuff with the new team. And I just want to say thank you again for coming on. And also uh, to, you know, with the Olympiacos English account on Twitter, um, has been a really good resource for folks who don't speak Greek, such as myself, to, to keep up with the team and team news. So folks who aren't following that, I believe it's at Olympiacos underscore ENG and Olympiacos is spelled with a K. So give that a follow. And then I think, uh, Bob, your personal account is at BobBeans83. Uh, so, you know, if you want to keep up with Bob, feel free to follow him on there as well. Bob, is there anything else you'd like to plug or promote or have I done it all for you already? No, you've pretty much done it all for me. And um, yeah, thanks for having me on. And again, I know uh, you're quite early in your inception, but yeah, thanks again for all the work you're doing for the English speaking Olympiacos fan base. Uh, much appreciated. And yeah, thanks again for having me on. Yeah, well, we're honestly just having fun with it. So um, our pleasure to, to continue doing that. And as we say, we always appreciate feedback and, and uh, criticism of any kind. So we're always trying to continue to get better and produce a product that English-speaking Greek fans and maybe just football fans in general really want to listen to and feel like they can learn something from. So as far as future updates go, as we said, we have a couple more special guests coming up in the future. Um, and then there will be Olympiacos games happening more frequently as well. So we'll have more than enough stuff to talk about. In the meantime, we appreciate you all for listening, especially if you've made it this far. We're coming to you from all over the, the planet here, from North America, from Europe, but wherever you're listening, we thank you and we will see you soon.